0: Christ focused much of his ministry on people who had disabilities, and he shows us time and time again that people with disabilities are honored in his kingdom. There is greater honor waiting for us in God's kingdom, regardless if we ever experience it on this earth. That is true. That is real. And we may not ever experience it in the church, some of us doesn't make it any less true. It just shows us that there's a lot of work to be done.
1: If it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out, then queen, we have a few questions to ask and a few conversations to have. I am your host, Liv Dooley, and I cannot wait to introduce you to some of the women who inspire me to fall more deeply in love with the word of God and worship in everything. I am so grateful you were here. Let's go on and get to work. Hey, y'all, it's me, Liv, and I am so incredibly grateful that you are here for another conversation at the best kept secret. I will tell you that this is one of the most important conversations we have ever had. And it is my prayer that as you listen to our guest, we would all see and show up and serve others differently. I am thankful for our guest's time. Today, we're going to uncover the story of Mephibosheth throughout the scriptures in First and Second Samuel. And I have to tell you that his restoration is one of the sweetest stories in all of scriptures. And it was an honor to share this time with Jennifer. Uh, but if you have not yet picked up Selah, I definitely want to encourage you to do so because session four is one of the sweetest sessions that we get to cover. We won't cover it in detail in our podcast here because our time with this season is winding down. But, you know, it's here in session four that we start at 2nd Samuel chapter one and that we learn of how King David prays before he goes to Judah. He prays to ask the Lord if this is the right time that he should pursue the opportunity to rule as king. And I think that's so encouraging because as a man after God's own heart who knew that he had been anointed and he'd done everything right, he still wanted to seek the Lord before he proceeded. This is where he brings the Ark of the Lord into Jerusalem. This is where the Lord establishes an eternal covenant that we know as the Davidic covenant with him. And this is where he fulfills the covenant that he uh, made with his best friend, Jonathan, before Jonathan's passing. I really look forward to inviting you into this conversation. I pray that it's one that opens up your eyes and your heart to the many ways that we have opportunities to serve the body of Christ more fully and more devoted than before. Thank you for being here. It's that time, y'all. My co-host Ty and I are back with another woman you should know. Yes, Liv, I hope you're doing great today. And please tell us who this woman is that you have for us. Yes, y'all, I am so excited introduce y'all to a woman that I've had the opportunity to meet and get to know at different events throughout Las Vegas here where I reside named Victoria Weatherspoon. I admire how she shows up in every space she occupies. She is someone who absolutely exudes confidence, but she also exudes just as much grace generosity, humility, and kindness as she does that confidence. And I tell y'all, it is absolutely unique and you definitely take note when she's around. I had the opportunity to join in a conference one year where she served as a part of the admin team that helped to put on the conference. And I just have to share that the hospitality that just flowed from everything that she did made me feel so much more comfortable and seen. And I just, I think that we need that. You know, when we get to conferences, we can often bustle around and, you know, look to see who's there or reconnect with old friends and Focus on trying to find a seat or finding a place. And it is really nice to just begin to meet people like Victoria who help you to slow down and then to feel seen regardless of who you are and how you have entered into that space with all of the emotions that we as women bring with us. <laughs> I love that you were able to um, experience that, that that is is what you um, have walked away from, knowing that Victoria has this, um, I guess lack of a better word, superpower, to be able to uh, make people feel welcome and invited because that is what the Holy Spirit does, right? Yeah, and I just wanted to share that she is an intercessor. So if y'all have any prayer requests, she will definitely pray with you. But this is something that she does with her life. She makes a practice of helping people. And she does have a boutique business to do just that. So if you're more interested, we'll link everything down below. Victoria Weatherspoon is a woman you should know. It is such an honor to highlight those who have a servant's heart here on the podcast, those who would really help to lift others up, those who would inconvenience themselves to ensure that others are welcome into spaces of worship. And I honor Victoria for that. And I am so incredibly grateful to introduce you to Jennifer Jihai Ko, our guest today. Jennifer G. Haiko is a disabled speaker, writer, poet, author of A Lamenter's Pathway to Joy Devotional Journey, founder of Disabled Christian Voices Ministry, and she is currently working toward becoming a certified Beyond Suffering instructor with Johnny and Friends Ministry. Jennifer has lived with multiple physical, developmental, and psychological disabilities since early childhood, including the traumatic confusion of being a late-diagnosed autistic. Armed with over a decade of theological and biblical counseling education, as well as mind-body self-study, Jennifer continues to learn by chronically dwelling on the sacred group of desperate fellowship with Christ in his suffering. Jennifer is supported by her husband, her daughter, her BFF, and her service dog, and she strives to uplift and embolden hurting people with the comfort that she has received from God. Would you please help me welcome Jennifer Jihai Koh to The Best Kept Secret right y'all I am just so excited about this conversation y'all I literally couldn't sleep and I know that when I can't sleep the Lord wants me to do something and so I, I planned out this entire series I had one story in my head my one of my favorite stories in all of first and second Samuel it's just so sweet but I really hadn't scheduled it. I didn't have anybody to discuss it with. And so it wasn't until the next morning when I woke up that I saw some content from our guest and I just went on and send her a message in her DMs to ask if she would be available to talk about this with us. And she was so gracious. So today we have an episode that I am so excited about. Ah, my goodness. Jennifer Jihiko, thank you so much for being with us. How are you? today.
0: I am I'm I'm excited for this conversation. This is a conversation I don't get to have too often, but I'm super excited and I mean, you know I I have a ton of health issues, so I'm 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 wrestling through the day and I'm I just feel like a I don't know if it's adrenaline or the holy spirit like let's do this. Yes. So I'm I'm excited. I'm hurting,
1: but I'm excited. Okay, I'm praying with you through this, and I am just so grateful for your time. You know, the story of Mephibosheth and how our, uh, I guess, our symbolic king, who kind of symbolizes the king of kings, Mm -hmm. really fulfilled build that covenant to Jonathan by inviting Mephibosheth into the uh, palace and restoring everything that was once his father's and even his grandfather's. And I wanted to ask you in particular, what stands out to you about Mephibosheth's restoration and what you might even recommend we learn for it today as we look to apply the word to our own lives? yes
0: yes so the first part of Mephibosheth's story is tragic it's his his father and his grandfather die in the same day and the same day that he gets dropped and, and we don't know if it's spinal cord injury we don't know if it's break in both of his legs we just know that he's crippled in both of his legs and then there's this beautiful restoration and then unfortunately David drops the ball Um, And so I want to like come, come through the story a little bit with some more detail, but we definitely see a foreshadowing of Christ. And then we see the kind of the reality of the world we live in waiting for that eternal restoration. Um, So yeah, as I, as I mentioned, he became disabled when he was five, when um, David overthrew um, King Saul and when David finally does call for Mephibosheth we know it's been at least a decade at this point Mephibosheth already has a son he's been in hiding in someone else's home um and in that time and it is it's a little bit better today but in that time being disabled was extremely shameful and that was amplified for royalty and so being a disabled person, knowing what it's like today to experience the shame of just simply being disabled, of something I have absolutely no control over, the amount of shame and disgrace he was probably treated with, regardless of being a prince, um, would have been intense. It would have been like a daily, a daily trauma. Um so this is that's kind of where he's been living. He's living in hiding because at that time. Um, if a king overtook another kingdom, he would likely imprison, if not kill, all the remaining royalty of that family. So Mephibosheth isn't hiding. He's terrified. Um, He does have a family, but the servants that are with him, who knows how they're treating him, who knows how they're um, interacting with him um so david remembers his covenant with jonathan and wants to restore his family and so uh the servant ziba is found um and he comes before david and he tells david all about mephibosheth he told him exactly where he's been hiding and tells him specifically that he is disabled and we don't know ziba's motives and we see this later on. We don't know if he's like saying that because, um, you know, if he's disabled, he's not a threat to the throne. So you don't have to worry. Or he's saying like, mm, maybe I'm going to get something out of this. And we really don't know if Ziba's been, there. there's uh, an inclination that perhaps Ziba has still been in service of Mephibosheth. And so again, with the the cultural climate of that time, maybe he's like, I don't want to serve a disabled prince. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to go out and say mm, Zebus got some sick motives because it isn't yeah. impeccably clear, but that's kind of where I, I kind of feel like, mm, I don't know about what he's, what he's trying to get at here. Uh, and so Mephibosheth comes before David, which must be terrifying because I don't know. We don't know what he's heard of David. We don't know if he's even been told about his relationship with his father, Uh, And so uh, Mephibosheth comes before David. He prostrates himself on the ground, which had to have been hard and maybe even painful. And David says to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you to the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. I'm going to come back to that last line, but I want to get to Mephibosheth's answer first, because it's really important. He says, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And that dead dog, it gives me shivers because I know what he's feeling. Mm -hmm. I know what he's, that in that time, that phrase dead dog, it's, it's, um, it's meaning uh, you think you're worthless, insignificant, it's self-abasement and, Man, I've read so many commentaries who these people say that, um, oh, it's because he's afraid that David's going to kill him. Like, yeah, that's probably part of it. But as a disabled woman, I know that you get that internalized ableism and you believe that because you're disabled, you are worthless. Mm -hmm. Why would anybody show me any kind of mercy, grace, or even love? Uh, And so I... I think that's an important part for us to pay attention to, that Christ says that all of us who believe are heirs in Christ, all of us are his brothers, and it doesn't say, oh, but if you're disabled, it's less so. He doesn't say that. In fact, his ministry shows us that he spent the most attention to those who are outcast and disabled. Um, And I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but I'm I'm so excited for where we're going to (laughs) go. Okay. um, So, so then uh, to Mephibosheth's um, question, David responds to Ziba. He doesn't respond to Mephibosheth, he tells Ziba, um, Saul's servant, he is how he always called all that belong to Saul and to his house, I have given to your master's grandson and Mm -hmm. to you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring him in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. He says it again. Okay. So he's really letting the servant know, like, this is what's going to happen. So again, a little like a little nudge for me. Like I feel like he really needed to understand what David was doing and maybe, yeah, read through the lines. Okay, extra biblical, but reading through the lines. Um, and so David's giving him all of that goes far beyond giving Mephibosheth what was rightly his. He gave mm-hmm. Mephibosheth the honor of close relationship with the king. A similar promise given to us from Yeshua himself, who told his disciples that they would eat and drink at his table in heaven, Luke 22, 30. Um, so we're starting to see, I mean, I mean, David, David images Christ throughout his story, but here's another little beautiful moment where David is imaging Christ, even foreshadowing Christ and what David is modeling. ah, I'm getting chills. Ah, Lord help me contain my excitement. David is modeling for us. What, um, Reverend Daniel Markham calls the Lost Great Commission. Okay. We've likely heard of the Great Commission, Matthew uh 20, verse 28. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember the chapter, but the Great Commission, go and make disciples. The Lost Great Commission is found in Luke 14, where David mm-hmm. is talking to the Pharisees and they've put on this beautiful banquet. And They've invited all their friends and anybody who can help them in status. And Jesus says to them, when you throw a banquet, don't invite your friends, invite the poor. And then he lists out disabled people, blind, <laughs> deaf, and a lot of translations say lame, but that's actually a really offensive word. And most commentators don't know that. Most translators don't know that. Um, so crippled is a little bit better, um, but disabled is the preferred term. Um so he he lists out specifically disabled people and he says, you go out and compel them to come. And he tells the, the parable of the banquet where the, the, the man who's putting on the banquet, it's been on the books. People know it's coming and he invites all these people. And then he sends a servant out and they give all these crude and ridiculous excuses why they can't come. And then he says, okay, no, fine. go. And find all the disabled people, go to the alleys, the streetways, the hedges, the highways, find them and bring them in, compel them to come. And that compel is not kicking and screaming. (laughs) It is persuading. Because when, unfortunately, disabled people Mm -hmm. know that in Christian spaces, our personhood, our civil rights even, and our spiritual safety is not honored among Christians by and large i'm not saying that's not an absolute statement by and large we know that if we come into a christian space we're going to be bogged by people saying you would be healed if you had enough faith you'd be healed mm-hmm. if you confess your sin you have you tried this or that as if we're not competent to take care mm-hmm. of our own health um and so so jesus is saying go go out and compel them to come and that's exactly what david did I mean, he sent his yes. servants out <laughs> to go and <laughs> get him a Uh, but he still, he went out and he brought him in and, and gave him a seat of honor at the banquet, um, at his dinner table. And so this is a foreshadowing of Luke 14. This is also a foreshadowing of the wedding supper of the lamb found in revelation. Um, mm-hmm. so people, who are most important in his kingdom, in Christ's kingdom, those who have the seats of honor are the people who are poor and disabled, specifically those seen as less important here on earth. You know, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And in most cultures, the lowest of the low are almost always people with disabilities. And I don't want people to get it twisted. I am a white woman. Uh, I am able to speak most of the time. I am among the most privileged of the disability demographic. I want you to guys imagine like broader, broader than that. There are are people who there's multiple intersectionality. There are people who are unable to speak. They need devices to communicate and may not have access to those devices. There are people who um, don't have wheelchairs that are homebound because they just don't have access. these are the people that Christ says are the most important in his kingdom. And so that is what's so beautiful about the story of David. He sees foreshadowing Christ in his time and then foreshadowing Christ's second coming. And it is so beautiful. And I wish that were the end of the story.
1: I know. Seriously.
0: Yes. <laughs> so I will just briefly. um. <laughs> talk about you know later on david kind of he drops the ball um so later later david is heading off toward a battle against his son absalom who's trying to take him over and um as he's heading out servant Zeba pops into the story again with a bunch of donkeys food and wine and all of these supplies we don't know where these supplies came from We don't know who they belong to. Were they his? Were they Mephibosheth's? We don't know. And so David asks him, where where is Mephibosheth? And Ziba says, oh, he's at home plotting to like take over while you're gone. (laughs) And so David, not taking the time to look into it, making a split decision, not hearing the other side of the story, taking this servant's um, word over Mephibosheth's. He says, behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba says, I pay you homage. Let me never, let me ever find favor in your sight, my Lord, my King. So he makes a split decision. And uh, later his son Solomon writes a proverb 18, uh, 17, that says one who states his case first seems right until the other one Mm -hmm. comes along and examines him. So David was going through a lot. So we want to give him that. Um, but he did not do right by Mephibosheth in that moment, and I think it's a, a reflection of how, again, non-disabled people will be believed before disabled people, and we see that a lot in the disability demographic, that professionals, educators, and parents of children with disabilities will be believed before a disabled adult about the disability experience. Um, and especially in the church, when disabled people speak up and try to tell the leadership, Hey, like we're being harmed in these ways. I've literally had a pastor go and ask a parent of a child with a disability and then say, Oh no, she says different. So it, it's nice to hear that you have that opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not right. <laughs> that is, yeah. that is, um, that's yeah. casual evilism. So then mm-hmm. David comes back. He defeated his son which he's absolutely, he's deeply grieving. Like he's beside himself grieving um, the scriptures show us. And as he's coming back, Mephibosheth meets him. And it's the scriptures say that Mephibosheth hasn't take care, taken care of himself since David left. His feet are dirty, his hair is disheveled. Um, and his words to David are, are overly honorific and apologetic. I think he kind of understands his standing just in society. And he's just, he tells, um, let me see where this is. Okay, so yes, Mephibosheth says to him, um and we we see he had Mephibosheth had neither taken care of his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day King David departed until the day he came back in safety and then David asked Mephibosheth why he didn't join him in battle and Mephibosheth tells him that Ziba deceived him by leaving without him with the donkeys and the supplies (laughs) and David responds and and he just yeah Mephibosheth gives like He's really trying to explain himself. And it, it reminds me of the man at Beth at the pool of Bethsa, where Jesus asks him, Do you want to be healed? And he gives this whole list of things why he can't be healed. And most people will focus on, oh, like that was a lack of faith. But again, as a disabled woman, if someone asks me, Do you want to be healed? It's not an invitation, it's an attack. Mm. So there's this, there's this kind of knee-jerk reaction to like defend yourself and say, well, I, I've been trying, look at all the things I've been trying. Um, so again, I see this kind of mirroring where Mephib- Mephibosheth seems to be really like, no, really, I, I, I need you to believe me, like this is true. Um, and so D- David responds so coldly, he says, why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Zeba shall divide the land and Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all since my Lord, the King has come home safely. So again, David is grieving. We'll give him that, but he is not looking into this. He's just thrown his hands up and he is given whichever man was being deceitful. He gave him more than he deserved. And whichever man was being uh, truthful, gave him less than he deserved. But then Mephibosheth just gave it all away because he's like, no, you are what is important to me which to me kind of shows a bit more about his heart. Some commentators will say, I mean, he could have been playing a long game or whatever. I I don't know. I I don't know. Um, So Mephibosheth gives all his possessions to Ziba because he says that, yeah, his only concern is for David. And so, yeah, again, what often happens, is people are more readily to take the word of non-disabled people than disabled people. And oftentimes disabled people come, we come with this knowledge that we're not going to be believed right away. And there's this kind of panic and people it's, it's, it's off-putting. And people are like, oh, whatever. Like I, I don't need to hear any more of your your tired story. Uh, there's no patience there. There's no honor there. Um, so in the end it's it's easy to invite people with disabilities to your table, it's less likely that we see disabled people actually being honored with people's time, belief, and actual friendship, actually living life with us, actually getting to know us. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. My goodness, that was rich. And I just thank you for pulling all of that out of the text. Um, because it has really taught us a lot. I really appreciate even how you kind of expose some of those concerns that we have about Ziba, as well as, you know, the weight, that King David did really drop the ball there. I have to share that one of my concerns about so many commentaries out there is that when we look at first and second Samuel, we often only talk about how David is a type of Christ. But when I look at first and second Samuel, I see Jonathan how he literally mm-hmm. laid his life down for David. I see Mephibosheth who truly does reflect the heart of our great God and, you know, who does show him like, you know what, at the end of the day, it wasn't about the stuff, it was all about you. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that you highlighted that even as you helped us to remember that there's this tension that we live in, this already and not yet tension it's mm-hmm. called and how although we see, see so much of Christ symbolized in the scriptures, in those Old Testament books, we are still even here as we live in the New Testament yet waiting for the return of Christ because he is the only one who can love us fully as we each deserve and need need to be loved even more. Amen. Thank you so much for that. You hit on quite a few things that I want to continue to ask you about. And ah, I have to share with you that it does really pain me when I visit churches or attend churches and they talk about how once we turn to the Lord. He will take every trouble and every pain away. And I understand the sentiment. However, I also understand that that is not biblical. The Lord invites us to take up our crosses. And so I want to ask you if you would just teach us a little bit about the theology of suffering and how to... Pay attention to it and really turn, look, look at it as an opportunity to serve the Lord rather than something that we are striving to get away from through some forms of prosperity gospel that we receive. Did you hear? Did you hear Selah, a study of first and second Samuel? The study that I have written is now available. (laughs) I am so excited to get this into your hands, but I want you to know that we're not only going to study the scriptures, but we're going to pray together as well. This study includes six video sessions and 30 guided prayers to help us settle into worship. When you visit Amazon, You can find it there, but you can also grab it at livedooly.com slash Selah. And when you go to that webpage, you will find a freebie as well. If you've ever been interested in learning about when King David composed the Psalms and what was going on in his life at the time, I have compiled a little resource for you to Really learn more about that in comparison with first and second Samuel. Together, it's my prayer that these resources help us enjoy scripture even more.
0: Oh man, yes. Yes. So I want to start with what is a theology of disability. I, I'll I'll specifically hit on disability. It enc- encapsulates suffering, um, not because. The only thing about disability is suffering but it is mm-hmm. part of it and um, so a theology of disability seeks to understand how to think about and treat people with disabilities based on the heart of god found in the scriptures as well as informed um by the the biblical historical and practical theology that honors the disability experience and unfortunately there are so few people with disabilities who are theologians, who are pastors due to the historical discrimination of disabled people, um, that we don't get that perspective. And so a lot of kind of a failure of a theology of disability, a lack of a theology of suffering comes from this constant shoving chronically ill and disabled people out of the picture either through certain barriers or through actual deliberate discrimination and um, marginalization. Um, So developing a theology of disability or a theology of suffering is first listening to people who Mm -hmm. experience disability, who experience suffering. Uh, Oftentimes we hear from the pulpit from people who don't know what it's like to live with a disability and not saying that they can't have any wisdom they do everybody suffers everybody experiences you know the experience of the fall um but for those of us for whom it's chronic every minute of every day there's a special insight there um and so I would say first, just finding those people, listening to those people, using your discernment as you listen to those people, because you have people from all across the spectrum of theology. Um, but I would say to really understand and have a theology of suffering and disability is to look at the scriptures and what they're actually saying. Like those verses about victory and about God, we heal all your diseases, um, that God delivers his saints from all their afflictions. We need to make sure that we're looking at that from a, a, um, eternal perspective, Mm -hmm. because we also see in first Peter or second Peter that we are to expect trials. Yes. And we see every one of the disciples died, most of whom very horrifically. Uh, we know Paul, we we know he had a thorn in his flesh. He tells us, and in First Corinthians, we see that it was apparent that he had some form of chronic condition or disability. And we don't know, to our knowledge, he died with that, that thorn in his flesh. So if the Man who's considered the second or third most holy person in scripture dealt with a chronic illness, who said to Christ, Release me of this three times. And Christ Himself responds to him saying, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is perfect in weakness. See, we have we have pushed verses like that aside, and we're so we want the victory. We want the, the deliverance and it's coming. It is, uh, in this life though, it may not. Mm -hmm. Christ does promise spiritual regeneration, but the scriptures again say, well, outwardly, we are wasting away inwardly. We're being renewed day by day. And if we are so quick to run away then we are going to minimize the importance of the perspective of people who can't run away from it. And the church by and large has effectively done that. And we, we talk about suffering and trials, but we are not equipped to do so long-term. Yeah. And those of us who have no choice, but to do it for long-term have had to figure it out ourselves mm. by a large. Mm.
1: I am incredibly grateful for your work and the amount of attention that you're drawing to this, uh, because it is something that we definitely need to correct and, I was heartbroken to learn from your work about the history of discrimination against people with disabilities in the church and uh, the sin of partiality that has just kind of been accepted and uh, continued as a result of that. Can you share that a little bit with our sisters who are listening in?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So We'll focus in on um, just American history. Um, there is a from the beginning history of disabled people being murdered and um, experimented on and left for dead uh, by laws. Um, the Holocaust began because nazis were rounding up disabled people and we were the guinea pigs for their genocidal practices um so that's big like big picture but for american history um starting in the 1800s there are these laws called the ugly laws that made it illegal for people with disabilities uh, to be in public and these laws were deliberate so then architecture structure city planning was all built deliberately to exclude people with disabilities. And it wasn't until the mid seventies that those laws were repealed. Okay, the mid seventies. Right, that's a really um, Yeah, so uh, what um, the late Judy Human, who is one of the uh, disability activists who fought for all the laws that we have now She says um, that the Civil Rights Act was written into law in 1964, I believe, and that didn't include people with disabilities. And it wasn't until the Restoration Act of 1973 that we began fighting for Amendment 504, which wasn't signed until 1977, after the longest sit-in of American history by disabled people supported by groups like the Black Panthers. Um, And so that is the basis, that's where we come from. And I don't know where churches were in all of that, but we know, I know that if I go to a church, I can expect there not to be wheelchair access, I can expect. And that is because that partiality for the non-disabled experience was continued after 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act which required accessibility. For the first time, like this, for the first time we had job safety, for the first time there was accessibility required in public spaces and Christian leaders, the National Evangelical Association, the uh, Christian School Association and others, it's a long list, um, you can find it on my website, of leaders who opposed the ADA and asked for exemption. They fought for exemption from it. And I understand like the w- desire to protect your First Amendment rights, but it wasn't in conjunction with any kind of plan to love your disabled neighbor as yourself. And so there is um, what I'm calling that it's a generational sin of partiality our spiritual ancestors in the 80s and 90s fought to exclude disabled people. So there becomes this culture that there just aren't disabled people in churches. And it's this secular thing where you don't see disabled people in the church. And so you don't see a need for accessibility. There is no accessibility. That's why there aren't disabled people in the church, but you don't see them. You don't think that there's a need. And so disabled people don't come and it just keeps going. And the excuse is a lot of church leaders says, oh, we don't have disabled people in our church. So we don't have to think about that. And like, if you build it, we'll come. The reason we're not there is because of this generational sin of partiality that if you don't know about it, you likely participate in it. Generations of pastors are, are ordained into this church legacy of patterns of exclusion of people with disabilities, and they're completely unaware of it. And in my personal experience, pastors who are incredibly intelligent, highly educated, still don't get it. They don't understand that not only is this happening, but they are actively contributing to it out of their ignorance. and I, I want to read um, James 2, 1 through 9, just to just to give us a picture of what I'm talking about from scripture. Um, it says, my brothers, practice the faith of your Lord Yeshua, the glorious Messiah, without showing favoritism or partiality. If you show more respect to the man wearing the fancy clothes and say to him, have this good seat here, while to the poor man you say, you stand over there or sit down at the floor by my feet then aren't you, aren't you creating distinctions among yourselves and haven't you made for yourselves into judges with evil motives? Listen, my dear brothers, hasn't God, God chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and to receive the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Mm-hmm. If you truly attain the goal of kingdom Torah in conformity with the passage that says, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, your actions constitute sin since you are convicted under the Torah as transgressors. And a lot of people think, oh, I don't actively discriminate against disabled people. And so you don't understand that there are patterns of exclusion that we have in- inherited through cultures, through family you know, patterns, behaviors that we're just unaware of. And so in this passage, he's talking specifically about the rich and the poor in very easily um, translate that from the non-disabled person who is most likely in a better financial situation than a person who is disabled. Um, It's expensive being disabled. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so we see that it is expected. For there to be favoritism shown to non-disabled people when we see stairs into the sanctuary, when we see a plethora of seating in the sanctuary, when we see the sermon given in multiple languages, um, and when there is pastoral care or biblical counseling available. But we see the partiality really uh, when there's no wheelchair ramp. There's Mm -hmm. stairs, but no wheelchair ramp or in, in, um, something I experienced, there was a wheelchair ramp, but the children had repurposed it as a jungle gym. And when I asked about it, they said, well, we don't know where the children would play with (laughs) with a little creativity. The kids can play anywhere, but that's my only access to the house of worship. Uh, we see the, the partiality when there are pews upon pews upon pews, but The only place for someone to park their wheelchair is in the aisle as a fire hazard. We Mm -hmm. see the sermons in multiple languages, but if it's not translated to ASL, which is a full language with multiple dialects um, or live captioning, um, I know very little ASL, but I do have auditory processing struggles. Having live captioning would really help. Um, And then if we don't have, like it's expected to have pastoral care, but in Christianity specifically, there is a huge lack in understanding of the embodiment of saints that we, if someone's struggling with their thought life and we say, take your thoughts captive to Christ, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Yes, that's true. But also I happen to have a bacterial infection in my brain that is causing psychosis. That's an illness. It comes out in behavioral symptoms, but just because it looks like sin doesn't mean that it is. And telling someone like that, you need to confess these behaviors as sin. That's prosperity gospel. So that favoritism, that partiality is rampant in the church. Most people don't know that they're contributing to it. And it really takes listening to disabled people and taking us at us, taking us at our word that we're being excluded, that we're being harmed. And no shade. But if you are unaware of the history, if people are unaware of the partiality, people are likely contributing to it and completely unaware of it. And I have a lot of grace and mercy for that. Um, but there's a um a couple of prophets that I appreciate. Um, Jeremiah says to the priests that you have refused knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so I have refused you as priests to me. A lot of church leaders know that they are not uh, disability accessible and they don't tell their congregation, they don't teach their congregation about disability etiquette, true disability theology, and they are responsible. And then Hosea says, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. And that is what is happening to disabled saints. We are being destroyed from a lack of knowledge. We enter into Christian spaces Oftentimes, not prepared to worship, but prepared to defend our faith, and we may not even realize. It took me years to realize that that's what was happening to me. Uh, And so, I forgot what your initial question was. But um, there's more information on partiality on my website, and really take a good look at at James two and consider ways that you know you may have unknowingly told a disabled person, "You sit over here. You stay over there. You're not." welcome here with us. Right. Wow. Thank you
1: so much for sharing all of that. I was astounded to hear from a gentleman at one of the um, sessions for my prayer group that speaks ASL and to hear that there's only about 2% of the population that has been evangelized, that this is a large untapped area that we have not gone to. And, you know, it's just tragic. It is tragic to think that sisters and brothers among us uh, just do not have the word because we have not chosen to share it with them. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, What kinds of experiences have you bore witness to that shows how someone might accept people with disability in theory, but reject them in practice? I know you've kind of shared one uh, right there with like you have a wheelchair ramp, but then when you question about it, you know, the leadership says, well, where would the children play? That just angers me. <laughs> I'm like, what? I used to work with children and youth. It's There are lots of options as It <laughs> really makes me so very mad that that was even a response that you received. Uh, but what kinds of experiences that, so just so that, you know, we can be more aware of how we might speak
0: the right language and yet do something completely different. Yeah, yeah I, I think a lot of it's things that i have already touched on so saying all are welcome, but you haven't taken the time to have to have in at in the DNA of your congregation a theology of disability and understanding of disability etiquette etiquette um, and it's, it can seem overwhelming because The disability demographic is the most diverse, the largest and most diverse. If you can think about all the different ways our bodies can uh, change under the fall. Um, And you don't have to plan for every single scenario. It's really about the heart of not seeing past the disability and not focusing just on the disability, but seeing through it to the person. Um, Everybody endures suffering. Everybody has weakness. People with disabilities just display it. And if we can understand that, it won't be an elephant in the room because we've seen enough elephants that it's not odd, right? Part of it is just a lack of exposure to disabled people. Again, with that that lost great commission, it's called the lost for a reason. We haven't been doing this. We haven't been inviting. We've been saying all are welcome, but our buildings, the places where we meet are not accessible. That doesn't say, oh, you're actually welcome. Um, Let me look at my notes real quick. Oh, goodness. Okay. Another way that we can welcome in theory, but practically not actually creating belonging for dis- people with disabilities is not going to people with disabilities. So there's already this basis of exclusion in society in general, and it's worse in Christian communities because of the history. And we keep saying, come, come, but we should be going especially when you have people who have severe disabilities or even getting out of the house is hard people who are homebound people who are bedbound people who are in the hospital we should be going to them and not like a this is like a one thing that we do that's not creating fellowship that's turning the person into a charity case for someone else to display their act of nobility And I've had it happen multiple times where someone will come and visit, they feel good about it, but I know they're not coming back Mm -hmm. or someone will even come like for a few weeks and then say, okay, now I've got some other things, so I'm not going to be able to come anymore. Like something else became more important, which I get it. We all have our own lives, but if we haven't created a culture where we are, building our community around people with disabilities, which is what first Corinthians 12 says. Um, we are saying with our lips, all are welcome, but we are saying with our words, you stay over there. I'm not coming to you. And even in a church where I was a pillar in that church, I helped grow that church. I was a servant minister for many, many years and The sicker I became, the less fellowship I experienced. And I intimately understood that if I didn't come to the church, the church wasn't coming to me. And I hurt myself for a very long time trying to go. And I shouldn't have had to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (sighs) Wow. We have to do better. Mm. We have to do better. I, um... I believe I've heard you speak to this, a couple others speak to this as well, about how we also need to make sure that our pulpits are accessible as well, because we need to ensure, this is one thing that I know my sisters here believe, that we need to ensure that we are inviting a diverse body of speakers to pour into the body of Christ. And my goodness, y'all, we cannot say that we want to see greater diversity Mm -hmm. without practicing it and without making some of these changes. And so, yeah, I thank you. I thank you so Mm -hmm. much for what you have shared with us today. You've shared so many scriptures, so many recommendations. I am just so grateful for your work. I want to ask one last question before we switch gears a little bit. And that is, what have you found? What recommendations do you have to continue pressing into worship for those people with disabilities as well as their families who are worshiping with them and are just incredibly discouraged by what they see? What recommendations do you have for, the, your- for those that are pressing in to keep worshiping? This is a little different than anything I sent.
0: Got it. Got it. So people who are experiencing those uh, barriers and discrimination. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Yes. First thing I want to say is that your voice matters. Society and culture tell us that we don't matter. Capitalism and consumerism and all of that tells us that we are not enough. But In Christ, we are whole as far as we can be whole under the fall. And Christ says, through his actions and through these banquet pictures that we've seen, that those who are considered weak, those who are considered less honorable, those who are considered unpresentable, are the most indispensable of his body. That's what 1 Corinthians 12, through 25, I highly encourage y'all to look at that and really get into it. I wish we had more time and I would dissect this verse up and down. It's the foundational verse of my ministry. And it really shows us that we have done it wrong for a very long time. It shows us that people with disabilities, when Paul is, is comparing the body of Christ to a human body, says a head cannot say to the hand. Not should not, cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And when he's talking about the people who are weak, who are seen as weak, who are seen as undisputed or seen as unpresentable, he's comparing us to the internal organs of the body, the heart, the lungs, the digestive system, which the body cannot do without. And the body is designed around the heart is a strong organ in its proper place at the center of the body clothed by the the rib cage and and skin and bone and blood. Uh, And so that, that is where people who are chronically weak, who are disabled, ought to be. And if we are not, it is not because we have done anything wrong. It is not because we are less honorable. In fact, the scripture says that we are deserving of greater honor, Um, because of that need for equity in the church. Uh, So I I would encourage that resource, 1 Corinthians 12, 22 through 25, just to hear from the word specifically about you and go to Luke 14 to hear specifically about you. It blew me away when I realized, oh, Jesus spoke directly to people like me. Like, to the spe- specificity spe- I can't say that word but you know what i mean <laughs> um blew me away cuz i'd never heard that so be emboldened go to those places be emboldened and speak um it's hard for people like us to be heard but someone's got to start speaking i i was in my congregation for 15 years And one day I saw three other wheelchair users come in and I saw all the barriers and all the people saying all the things that I had heard a hundred times before. And at that point, I would have been happy to just endure it because it was just me. And then I heard the words of, I'm going to say the wrong Mordecai, Mordecai to Esther, perhaps you've been been brought to your royal position, me particular, because I was close friends with the lead pastors, Mm -hmm. perhaps you've been brought to this royal position for such a time as this. And he says specifically about for her to the Jews that God will bring deliverance to your people. You and your, your father's house will perish, but he will bring deliverance in one way or another, but perhaps he's brought you to this royal position for such a time as this. Speaking is hard. Speaking up for ourselves is hard. But I was deeply emboldened when I realized I was in a position where they should have had no reason to not believe me, whereas so many other people just were kind of had a peripheral re- relationship. When we speak for up for our needs, we're not just speaking up for ourselves. We're speaking up for everybody else who will come after us. And even if it plants a seed and you have to go because the discrimination is so deep and the harm and wounding and spiritual abuse is relentless, you, you that work is not lost. Even if they try to erase it and cover their tracks and say, oh, we've done everything right. God knows. And he's asked us to be faithful. And he's we get to be chronically faithful by going to Christ for our strength and to speaking on our own behalf as well as the behalf of others. And if this is something that you feel called to do, Johnny and Friends Ministry has a lot of programs. Um, I'm currently going through their Beyond Suffering certification program. So I'll be a certified um, Theology of Disability instructor at the end of the year. Um, and my website has a ton of other resources where you can be emboldened by other people who are doing this, who other people who are speaking up. And it is a, there's so few of us right now. We need more. Yeah. It cannot be just me. It cannot just be Johnny, Eric, Tata. We need more diverse voices. Um, so if I can just reassure anybody that, You are the apple of God's eye. You are precious more so than jewels. And that Christ focused much of his ministry on people who had disabilities. And he shows us time and time again that people with disabilities are honored in his kingdom. There is greater honor waiting for us in God's kingdom, regardless if we ever experience it on this earth. That is true. That is real. And we may not ever experience it in the church some of us it doesn't make it any less true it just shows us that there's a lot of work to be done in christ's bride. and we know in just in the headlines we see christ is cleansing his church but we have yet to see disability kind of pop up into the headlines yet but we get to be a part of that cleansing he is coming he's coming soon and we don't know what that word means soon but he's coming soon and we get to be a part of him cleansing his church and preparing his bride to come to the wedding supper of the Lamb.
1: Yes. Yes. This. Uh, this has been such a healing conversation. I just feel our God with us, and my goodness. I'm so grateful for your time. Would you please tell everyone where they can find you, your book, your resources, all the things uh, on your website and, you know, social media?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So my website is com, And I'm sorry, just a moment. My service puppy in training is being a bit of a brat. Okay. She's, gone right now. she's like very protective. So every little sound, she's like, are you going to hurt my mom? Uh, okay. I digress. <laughs> uh, yes. You can find me at com, And my book is there. A ton of resources is there, are there. Um, disability 101 page. And there's um, Disabled Christian Voices Ministry, where I'm beginning uh, a directory of people with disabilities who are doing the kingdom work, um, whether it's specifically disability ministry Or if it's just ministry and I happen to be disabled, um, people are there. They're doing it. And so you can check that out. And I'm started the vodcast as well. Um, So those are some, those are some resources. I also have a resource page as well on Disability 101 at the bottom. And I'm on Instagram mostly, um, but you can find everything on my website.
1: We will definitely go there. I'll be linking everything down below before you head out. Love to ask you a few secrets if you have a minute. The first one is: uh,
0: What are you doing on a day off? What do I do on a day off? Oh man! I mean, it depends on how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, my health is like up and down roller coaster. On a day off, I'm usually just resting with my puppy. <laughs> or crocheting if I have the energy, playing the piano if I have the energy, um, with my daughter if I have the energy. Uh, She's eight, so she's a lot of energy right now, but she's super into music, and so I'm trying to teach her what I know. Um, Yeah.
1: Beautiful, that's beautiful. One of my teenagers just picked up crocheting. I think that is the coolest Yeah. ever. The next question I have is, oh, oh, I forget my secrets sometimes. Hold on, hold on. One is what is bringing a smile? What is bringing a smile to your face these days?
0: days, Well, I mean, honestly, right now, this conversation, (laughs) I have so enjoyed chatting with you. Um, This has been so good. Um, These days, what has been bringing me joy is, I think I, I spent... 17 years in a church where i was told that i was valued and i told i was told that i was trusted and um i was in positions of leadership and yet when i started to talk about disability when i started to talk about spiritual abuse when i started to um correct the elders um I was gaslit and I was told that what I was talking about didn't matter. And so what's been bringing me joy lately is people who know of me, they don't even know me as well as these men did. People who know of me are hearing what I have to say. I'm like, they're like, yes, yes. I want to hear more about that. I'm like, oh, seriously? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was on the right track. Thank you. Holy spirit. <laughs> because. <laughs> I trusted other people more than the Holy spirit in me for too long. And so that's really been bringing me a lot of joy that a lot of this affirmation that there are people who do want to hear about this, but there are Christians who do want to do right. Who do want to honor people with disabilities. Um, and the other thing bringing me joy right now is I've, I've been training myself, training my uh, service dog and she's a delight. She <laughs> people don't tell you that poodles have the, silliest personalities and the biggest personalities and she's so silly and uh and you know just my family just my husband and my daughter enduring this call on my life with me and you know we laugh at things that I feel like people would be like confused about but you know when you live in a situation where there's severe disabilities when there's severe intermittent psychosis like you find the joy you find the laughter and and um the lord brings it yeah yeah he does he does
1: (sighs) this has been a delight my goodness I can't thank you enough for saying yes one of my Favorites conversations hands down and yes we are all so glad i'm speaking for everybody that's listening and we're so glad you continue to follow the holy spirit's impression because we need you and you have just brought so much more to our lives because of the work that you are doing so thank you thank you thank you would you pray us out
0: yes Holy Father, we come before you knowing that we don't know what you know. We come before you confessing that we need an eternal perspective. We we need your mind. We we need to put less weight in our thoughts and and really truly understand that your ways are higher than our ways even when they don't make sense to us and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts um, help us, Lord. We believe, Lord, please help our unbelief. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who, who have disabilities or who feel the need to hide their disabilities, Lord, that that you would be so near, that your spirit would be so palatable, palpable. And, um, that you would embolden us, that you would drench us in your love and embolden us to speak your truth about us. And I pray that regardless of whether or not we are heard, that you would honor us and support us in our faithfulness. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are considered strong. I, I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would nudge them and for the ones who are quenching those nudges, I pray you would nudge harder. Um, I know what I'm asking, um, but Lord, being faithful to you is far more important than, than pain in this life. And I know sometimes you, when you nudge, it does not feel good, but Lord, we need to know. People need to know, we need to know what we are participating in. We need to know that whatever privilege we have blinds us from people who we are harming and are unaware. So I pray for the body that we would actually truly become the body that is truly welcoming and truly creating belonging for everyone, Lord. Cleanse your bride, make us faithful, help us so that only holiness comes out of our mouths. And we we pray with expectation that you will move and do miracles here and now, but our ultimate desire to be, to see you, to see that our treasures in heaven that we have been storing up is the closeness of relationships that we will feel with Christ. Lord, make us one. Make us one body. Our time is short. Please bring us your kindness that leads us to confession, to repentance, Lord, and truly make us wash us clean to be your bride on that wedding supper of the Lamb where you will wipe every tear from every face and we will enjoy you for eternity. May it be so, Lord. In Christ's glorious name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Mm, That conversation is
1: good for my soul. I pray can say the same if there's anything that resonated with your heart which please head over to apple podcasts spotify or audible and leave a rating and review it will truly bless this podcast more than you know now in the meantime i am on instagram at candid live and it would be an honor to connect with you there talk to you soon love you